Facebook, Twitter, 24-7 News, talk radio, citizen journalism, fake news, real news. The audience is drowning in an overwhelming overload of information. Clearly a guidepost is needed to identify what is trustworthy and a reliable source of both news and information. The Delaware Humanities Podcast, a matter of facts, will delve into this topic. I'm Nancy Karabjanian. The A Matter of Facts podcast is brought to you by Delaware Humanities, a state affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Its mission is to engage, educate, and inspire all Delawareans through cultural programming. We thank the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation for its generous support of this initiative and the Pulitzer Prizes for its partnership. A Matter of Facts is produced by Delaware Public Media, Delaware's source for NPR News. Now we join our A Matter of Facts podcast host, Nancy Karabjanian. Thanks for joining us again on the A Matter of Facts podcast. I'm Tom Byrne, sitting in for Nancy Karabjanian. Space and human exploration of it has long captured the imagination, and there's little doubt interest will be rekindled significantly in the coming year as we mark the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11 and the United States becoming the first nation to land people on the moon and bring them back safely. So what should we know about space and space exploration? And where are the best places to learn about where we've been, where we are, and where we may be going? For answers, we're joined on this episode by Dr. John Logston. He's Professor Emeritus of Political Science and International Affairs at George Washington University's Elliott School of International Affairs, faculty member of the International Space University, and previously held the Charles A. Lindbergh Chair in the Aerospace History at the Smithsonian Institution's National Air and Space Museum. He's written extensively about policy and historical aspects of U.S. and international space activities, including the books John F. Kennedy and the Race to the Moon, and After Apollo, Richard Nixon and the American Space Program. He also has two new books on the way, The Penguin History of Outer Space Exploration and Ronald Reagan and the Space Frontier. Dr. Logston, thanks for joining us on A Matter of Facts. Good to be here. I want to start by asking you, uh, how well-informed do you feel the public is generally about space exploration? I've seen some argue that there's kind of mythology surrounding it and what's been accomplished. And I'm curious if if you feel the same way. Well, I think uh, most people over 20 anyway realize that uh, uh, half a century ago we were sending people to land on the moon and that we have been going in circles in Earth orbit since. Uh, I think they're aware very vaguely that there are people living on a permanent basis on the International Space Station. Uh, And when the shuttle was launching, they were aware the day a shuttle launched and then forgot about it. But I don't think there's any deep understanding. When the shuttle was retired in 2011, a lot of people uh, thought that NASA closed and was out of business. I ask that because I recently saw the trailer for First Man that's coming out later this year based on the James R. Hansen book about Apollo 11 and Neil Armstrong and the moon landing. And my first thought was this is going to be highly dramatized, uh, perhaps loose with the facts as some movies can be and, and simply kind of add to mythology. But I guess it's possible it could also provide a jumping off point for real conversation and learning, particularly as we move further away in time from these events and we have generations that have no direct link to them. Well, what do you think? Well, you think of the movie a couple of years ago, The Martian, based on Andy Weir's book, was done with the cooperation of NASA 
and was as technically accurate as it could be, given the fact they still wanted a dramatic movie. Uh, and it, I think, uh, stimulated a lot of attention to the uh, possibility of humans on Mars. Uh, and my understanding, I haven't seen the first man yet. I'm eagerly awaiting it. You may know it's going to open the Venice Film Festival in Italy on August the 29th. So it's, it's already in the can, if you wish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the family has seen it and said they've paid great attention to detail. So I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic that, that it will be an accurate portrayal of the steps that led Armstrong and Aldrin to step on the moon, incidentally, 49 years ago today as we record this show. So let's talk a bit more specifically about Apollo 11 and the space race and, and try to get a bit more of that deeper understanding you were talking about. Uh, specifically, I want to talk about the, the politics behind it. How did the Cold War influence the drive to get to the moon and the space race? Well, Apollo, the whole program, was a political act. It was initiated by John Kennedy in 1961 uh, as the Soviet Union by putting the first human in space, Yuri Gagarin, on April the 12th, 1961, scored a kind of second strike in the uh, game of, 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 of uh, geopolitical competition, the first one having been Sputnik in 1957. And Kennedy found the U.S. not entering that competition to be unacceptable. Uh, He wrote a kind of classic memo on April the 20th, 1961, so eight days after Gagarin, asking for a review to find, and I quote, a dramatic, a a space program which promises dramatic results in which we could win. Uh, So space, dramatic, and win were the requirements. And the answer came back, the first thing the U.S., had a good chance of doing before the Soviet Union was landing the humans on the moon because both countries would have to build a big new rocket. Uh, we had uh, acquired the services of Werner von Braun after World War II. Uh, the Soviet Union didn't have a similar kind of rocket engineer, and basically we won the rocket-building race. Do you think people have a true sense of, particularly younger people, of just how remarkably dangerous this undertaking was and how remarkably complicated it was? I don't think so. I, you know, looking back in retrospect, uh, we see little glimpses of the activity. We see the Earthrise picture uh, taken by Apollo 8. We, we see in maybe a fuzzy image of, of Armstrong uh, saying it's one small step. But the uh, fact that 400,000 people had to collaborate, that it was uh, right at the edge of the state of technological possibility, uh, uh, the, the complexity of the undertaking. I don't think uh, people who weren't engaged at the time have any sense of it. Uh, and it was remarkable. I had the good fortune of actually being at the Apollo 11 launch, seeing this immense uh, structure, uh, the Saturn V rocket, uh, take off for the moon. And you have to go and see it actually happen to get a sense of the scope and, and power and drama of the event. Which, I guess, to me, makes it remarkable that the, the response to the Kennedy memo that this was something we could do and win uh, is, is remarkable in and of itself, that, that, that people said, this, we could do this. Yeah, NASA, well, NASA from the start had set 
sending people to the moon as the long-term goal of human spaceflight. Um, not, not very much Mars in, in the late 50s and early 60s. So NASA had been studying what it would, would take to get people to the moon even before Gagarin and even before Kennedy's question. And it comes to the conclusion that there were no showstoppers in terms of science. There would be a lot of technology that had to be developed, but we knew how to do it. It was just uh, a, a massive scale-up of existing knowledge. So, in the end, on the political side, was there a tangible impact to the United States winning that race to the moon? I think there was. I think there was an outpouring of national pride. I mean, it came at the end, uh, Apollo 11, mid-1969. We had had a horrible decade with the political assassinations of two Kennedys and, and Dr. King. We had bogged down in an uh, endless war in Southeast Asia. We had had urban riots. So this gave the country, after all of that, something to be proud of being American uh, about. And uh, diplomats around the world said it was the uh, most positive thing the United States had done since the uh, leading the coalition that won World War II. Uh, so I, I think in terms of what Kennedy wanted to make clear that the United States was the leading world power and was not going to be second to any other country uh, in, in the exercise of, of that power, uh, it was a great success. It was not a success in terms of the future of the space program. I was going to say, in, in that era, it was obviously a very much a competitive business exploration of space. How different is the climate now? Is, is it less competitive, more collaborative, or is the competition simply taken a different form as we've moved from Apollo to the space shuttle and the International Space Station to now? Well, I think it's a mixture of competition and cooperation. There's still, uh, you, know, you see it these days with the Trump administration uh, trumpeting, pardon me, <laughs> uh, the Make America Great Again, including space leadership. I mean, there's a quest for leadership that has continued ever since uh, the 60s, ever since Apollo, but it's done in the framework of multiple countries and and pri the private sector doing things in space. And so the way the U.S. can uh, demonstrate its leadership is leading a coalition, leading in cooperation. And I was going to say that it kind of building on that does space exploration today perhaps offer a you know needed opportunity or needed opportunities for international partnerships and collaboration. Well, it's certainly the only way we're going to do big things in the future. And, and uh, you have 16 countries working together uh, in the International Space Station, which has been permanently occupied. There have been people living and working in space on a permanent basis for now 18 years. I mean, people don't really realize it because what they do is not exciting. Uh, it, it's good quality research. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know they're not they're not stepping on uh, a, a new territory, uh, uh, and nobody really watches scientists do their work <laughs> in a laboratory, which is what the space station is. So yes, I think uh, it, it, it's an example of the possibility of complex high technology cooperation among a number of countries. 
it may be just its own example, not not the idea that you can jump from that cooperation to better relationships mm-hmm. on Earth. I think is a leap too far. How about NASA? Where, where does NASA fit in the current and future landscape? Well, NASA has to adapt to a very different world than it was in at the time of Apollo. Then it was the only space game in the United States and the uh, by far the, the leading space agency in the world. Now there are multiple agencies, countries uh, all over the world, China, Japan, uh, Russia, uh, uh, Europe, uh, uh, India, uh, the US, United Arab Emirates, uh, lots of countries have ambitious plans for space. Plus, uh, the private sector is is very actively engaged. It's a three hundred billion dollar space economy these days, and and how NASA fits into that uh, in coming years is 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 a challenge. With that in mind, you know, what should we be setting our sights on at this point in terms of space exploration? Is it Mars, or is it something else? Is it a combination of things? Well, I think in terms of a government program, it is uh, preparing to send humans back away from low Earth orbit, where we've been since 1972. My own view is is that the uh, moon, which is basically just an offshore island, ought to be the first stop on the way out, both as a way to practice living off the planet uh, in preparation for going beyond. And the moon is an interesting object. I mean, Apollo did not explore the moon. And there's six landings, all in a relatively limited geographical area, uh, um, only a limited amount of science. And the idea of resource exploitation, which is very popular these days, wasn't even on the agenda back then. So there's lots to do on the moon and and uh, I think eventually uh, humans will set foot on Mars. Where that leads, I think, is is for the next couple of generations <laughs> to figure out. Well, you mentioned President Trump, and so I'm going to go back to him for a moment because recently he floated the idea of a space force. Uh, tell us a little bit about what a space force may be, and is it even something we should be looking at seriously at this juncture? Well, it's an old idea to start out with. The idea that uh, you could better use space to protect U.S. interests, to defend uh, our our economic interests, to defend our military capabilities, uh, if it was organized separately from uh, the existing military services. That idea has been around a long time. Uh, and and that's the key idea is uh, is to have dedicated space professionals managing our military space activities. Uh, the image has gotten around, and, and certainly Mr. Trump, by talking about space dominance, helped that image that we're going to go out and start fighting wars in space. And I think that's that's not really uh, in the cards unless our adversaries. Uh, choose to make space a war-fighting domain. Uh, you know, when it's it's not innocent since since the world economy, our uh, national security depend on being able to use our space systems. 
our adversaries uh, uh, have figured out ways to attack those systems, and we have to figure out ways to protect them. I mean, that's that's the reality of the world. And whether organizing uh, our our uh, security space capabilities separately is a better path or not is something to be debated. So perhaps, it, it, like the beginning of our conversation, we kind of talked about the difference between kind of the mythology of things and the reality of things. You know, when people hear Space Force, they may be thinking more of, you know, Star Wars, uh, but you're talking maybe more about there is a there is perhaps a practical thing to be done to protect the, the ability to you know, use satellites and things in space as part of everyday life. Exactly. I mean, we we defend our economic interests, our our uh, public interests on the land and on the sea and in the air. Uh, a lot of those interests depend also on uh, satellites in orbit and. Uh, you know, there's there are already thirty two thousand people un, uh, working under the Air Force Space Command. I mean, this, the space is not a uh, area uh, at, with military presence absent. Uh, so it, it the, the the debate ought to be uh, what's the best way to uh, protect our interest and and at at minimum cost uh, is is a separate force the best way to organize that or not and. Um, it, it does not necessarily, uh, as you say, jump to um, uh, uh, fighting Star Wars kind of, of, of dogfights in, in orbit. So as people look for information going forward, um, for you, what are some of the, the reliable sources of information on space and space exploration that people can, can look to? I mean, in this area of fake news, I mean, certainly space and space exploration are not immune. There, there are still people out there who think Apollo 11 was a hoax. <laughs> uh, yeah. I can't conceive of that, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would be much harder to maintain the hoax than it was to actually do it. Uh, so, um, you know, the, the psychology behind the, the people who think that, that the whole Apollo program was filmed on a sound set just escapes me totally. <laughs> and as, as I said, it, at the start, I, I was there when Saturn V <laughs> took off for the moon. Uh, so they, they certainly went somewhere. <laughs> um, uh, uh, there are good trade publications. There's a weekly magazine called Aviation Week and Space Technology, which is pretty technical uh, for political and policy issues. There's a, a publication called Space News, which has a daily newsletter. There's a website called uh, Space Policy Online. Uh, so there, there are good sources of information for those that want to pay attention. There are groups. Uh, I'm on the board of a thing called the Planetary Society. Our, our CEO is Bill Nye. And the, uh, the website, planetary.org, uh, it focuses primarily on, on solar system exploration, but but is a good source of information on a lot of what's going on. So there 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 is is there's also fake news, unfortunately. But uh, but there's lots of good sources of information. And we like to end this podcast by asking all of our guests, um, where do you generally get your news? What are your favorite news sources in in general? Well, I'm not only old but old fashioned. So I still get a a print newspaper delivered every morning to my door. Uh, in this, in my case, it's the Washington Post with the Sunday New York Times. Uh, so those 
plus the websites associated with those uh, sources of news, I think, are my primary source of information on what's going on in general. Uh, subscribe to a weekly news magazine, one still exists in print, print form, Time magazine. Um, and, and the sources I just mentioned uh, with respect to space are the ones that, that I regularly look at. Dr. Logson, we thank you so much for taking your time and, and joining us here on the A Matter of Facts podcast. We really do appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you. And we do want to note that in 2019, Delaware Humanities will be offering programming connecting space, exploration, and the humanities, inspired by the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. It will highlight that Delaware has had a role and still is contributing to space exploration through companies like DuPont, ILC, and Gore. So be on the lookout for that in the coming year. That was Dr. John Logsdon, Professor Emeritus of Political Science and International Affairs at George Washington University's Elliott School of International Affairs, faculty member of the International Space University. His new books, The Penguin History of Outer Space Exploration and Ronald Reagan and the Space Frontier, are coming out soon. The A Matter of Facts podcast is brought to you by Delaware Humanities, a state affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Its mission is to engage, educate, and inspire all Delawareans through cultural programming. We thank the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation for its generous support of this initiative and the Pulitzer Prizes for its partnership. A Matter of Facts is produced by Delaware Public Media, Delaware's source for NPR News.